Good morning. Happy Resurrection Day to you. That was weak, all right? Happy Resurrection Day. <laughs> all right. You know, one of the cool things of my vantage point being able to stand up here is I look out and I see a lot of, I know a lot of your stories and a lot of your stories are just like that, that you were away from God and God chased after you and he got you. In fact, two of our guys in the band today, that's their story and uh, that's the God that he is and pray today if you're far from God that he is going to touch your heart in this time that we're going to spend together. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, also want to welcome everybody joining us online, those who are out in the courtyard today, I'm glad that you're all with us, and uh, it's been a really, really awesome time. Now, Pete made a little bit of a mistake, he, he greeted you as third service, um, when actually it's fourth service today, because we did a sunrise at uh, 6.30 and it was awesome. It was really, anybody, was anybody at sunrise today? Okay, some of you. All right, came back. All right. So I told everybody at sunrise that I was preaching a different message, which I am, but the introduction's the same. So I, I'm just going to, so you're not going, wait a minute, that's the same thing. Um, anyway, it's great to be together. And uh, let's read here, beginning in Mark chapter 16. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, Salome, not Salami, Salome, <laughs> bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. And tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they, were trembled, they, they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we've gathered here today and we've been singing songs of victory, because you are the victorious one. You beat death. You came out of the grave to give life and hope and meaning and forgiveness and joy to everyone who would put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, for those of us who know you today, we are so thankful for what you did, that you are the God who transforms. And God, I pray for anybody today who has not yet experienced your transforming power in their life, that they would experience that today. I pray you'd bless our time now in the Word, in Jesus' name, amen. got a question for you. How many of you are texters? You like to text, okay? 
Like, like you would prefer to text someone rather than call them on the phone. How many of you like to do that? My wife is that way. She likes to text. Now, for me, if I, if I have a quick question that I want to get you know, from somebody or I want to just share some real quick information, I will definitely text. But when I want to have a conversation with somebody, you know, a back and forth, I want to talk to them on the phone because I just don't have the patience for texting. You know what I mean? You're, you're in a conversation texting with somebody. You're kind of going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, there's silence. And you're wondering, like, what happened to them? Did they die? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Are they in the bathroom? Like, like what happened? You know, where, where did they go? Or maybe you're thinking, did I offend them? Did I say, you know, so then you send a, another text, a follow-up text with a smiley emoji face, you know, that says, hey, I was happy when I said that. Or, you know, did they, did they get a text from somebody more important than you while you were texting them, you know? Some of you like to do that. You double text. You're texting two people at one time, right? But that can get dangerous because you can say something that you didn't mean to say. And, you know, have you ever got that, that oops that wasn't meant for you? And it was something really, really nice. And you're like, oh, man, I thought that was meant for me, you know? But double texting, it can be dangerous. This is a true story. A friend of mine's wife was texting him one day. He was at work. And then she received a text from a friend of her teenage son. They were having, you know, an event at their house that night. And this boy had texted to get some information about. So she's texting her, her husband and this, this boy, this teenage boy at the same time. And she accidentally sends this text that was meant for her husband to the teenage boy that says, I love you so much. I can't wait to see you tonight. <laughs> Oops, you know. And then there's the dreaded when you're texting with somebody, dot, dot, dot. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're texting them and you send your text and then you see on your phone or your you know, screen the little dots like, okay, the conversation isn't over. They're going to respond. They're thinking. They're saying something. You know, the, the dot, dot, dot. You know what I'm talking about, right? The dot, dot, dot. And then all of a sudden it just goes away. And you're like, What? I guess the conversation's over. I guess we're done. You know, I guess they, and then like two days later, then they respond. And you're like thinking to yourself, like, really? Like, I have to go back and think about what we were talking about. Well, you know what? On Good Friday, the followers of Jesus saw Jesus die on the cross. They saw him buried in the tomb. Good Friday was the dot, dot, dot for God. But he was going to answer big time three days later. But he did not leave his followers. Jesus didn't leave his followers hanging because he told them, he actually told them exactly what he was going to do, exactly what was going to happen, that three days later he was going to rise from the dead. You see, Friday was not the end of the story. That's not how the story of Jesus was going to end. The story of Jesus wasn't going to end with a, with a cross and a grave. But when the sun went down on Friday, the followers of Jesus, they thought that it was over. They thought that this was the sad and horrific ending to the life of Jesus. On Friday, they were dumbfounded and frustrated, but this story wasn't going to end in frustration. And here in our text, we see that there were these women coming to the tomb early in the morning, 
And they come to the tomb and they find that it was empty because Jesus had risen from the dead. But I want you to think about this. The tomb was empty, but there was something left in the tomb. And I want you to think about that. What was left in the tomb? I think what was left in the tomb has incredible significance to us. And I want you just to ponder that for a little bit. I'm going to answer that question. What was left in the tomb as we get a little further in our study today? And I believe that the answer to that question could very well change your life today. But we read here in our text that these women were coming to the tomb early in the morning to anoint the body of Jesus. And some of you Bible students are probably thinking, why did they need to do that? Because we read in John chapter 19 that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, that they had already anointed the body. So why did these women feel like they had to redo it? And I think the easy answer to that is this, that men did it the first time and they obviously didn't do it right, right? (laughs) So the ladies had to come and fix it. No, actually, what probably happened was this. Because they were racing, Joseph and Nicodemus were racing against the Sabbath day that they didn't get a finish. So these women are coming to anoint the body. It's very early in the morning. And as they're walking, it's probably still dark when they first started out. And they're walking and they're wondering, they're talking among themselves, who is going to be able to move this stone away from the tomb? Because the stone that was placed in front of the tomb was really, really heavy. I mean, it weighed probably over a thousand pounds. I have a picture of what that stone probably would have looked like. They were massive stones that they would roll in front of the the tombs. The tombs were like caves in those days. And oftentimes there was sort of a downgrade to roll it into place, but to get it out of place, you were pushing it up a hill. So these ladies, I mean, it would take a lot of men to move that. And these ladies were wondering, who is going to be able to move the stone for us? So already There's a sense of frustration that they're dealing with. But listen, this story wasn't going to end in frustration. They're walking in the early morning hours. It's still dark outside and they get to the gravesite only to discover that the stone has been rolled away. You see, God does some of his best work in the darkness, in the dark times. And I want you to notice that as these ladies were worrying, God was working. As they were walking, God was already working. He was moving. And I want you to know this. God is already working out what you're worried about. Some of you are worried. Some of you are stressing. And God wants you to know, I think this is a word from the Lord for somebody here or somebody watching online, that you're worried, but God is working. Because he's the God who still moves stones. And he wants you to just believe that, to embrace that, and to cling to that, and just to keep on walking, believing in him, trusting in him. Well, they get to the tomb, and they they meet this young man who's just sitting in there. He's just kind of chilling. And they, the other gospel accounts tell us that this young man was actually an angel. And he says to them, don't be alarmed. Other translations say, fear not. Because you see, this story doesn't end in fear either. But fear is what had gripped their hearts. They watched him die. And they were afraid that that was it, that it was over. 
Now they come to the tomb and they find it empty. His body's there. And now they're afraid that somebody has stolen the body. But this story doesn't end in fear. I want to read to you, it'll be on the screen, from Luke chapter 24. It gives us a little more insight into this little exchange with this angel. It says that, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, he said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? I want you just to ponder that statement. Because that statement is really an indictment against so many in our culture. That's what a lot of people in our culture today are doing. They're seeking life in dead things. They're seeking the living among the dead. They're seeking life in dead things like possessions. Oh, if I can just get that, it's going to satisfy me and it's going to make me happy. They're seeking for life in pleasure. Did you know the Bible actually says that sin is pleasurable for a season? but the end of it is death. There's pleasure in sin. In fact, let me, let me ask for a show of hands. How many of you have had fun sinning before? Okay, some of you are going, can I admit that in church? Yeah, you can. Uh, how many of you have had fun sinning before? Raise your hand if you have, okay? Most of us. Sin is pleasurable. There's fun. It's like sometimes when you bite into something really, really sweet and then there's that bitter aftertaste. That's what sin is. There's always a bitter aftertaste. And so the angel says to them, why are you seeking the living among the dead? And I ask you that same question today. Why are you looking for life in dead things that can't satisfy the longing that is in your heart? When Jesus himself made this declaration, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus was saying, look, the life that you're looking for, it's found in me. In John chapter 10, Jesus said that the devil is a thief and a robber. And he comes to kill and to rob and destroy. The devil is a taker. He's a user. He wants to take from you and take advantage of you. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. And don't miss this. It's the resurrection that gives validity to the claims of Jesus. It's the resurrection that gives validity to the claims of who he said that he was. Now, here the angel in Luke 24 continues. He says, he's not here, but he's risen. And then he says, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. He's saying, look, he told you. Jesus told you what was going to happen. He told you he was going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, but on the third day, he was going to rise again from the dead, that he wasn't going to leave you hanging, and that's exactly what happened. Good Friday was the dot, dot, dot for God, but something good was coming, and God was saying, wait for it, just wait. It's going to blow your mind. But I want you to notice that phrase in Luke 24, verse 6 where it says he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. And the word for delivered is the word paradidomai. Let me hear you say that. Paradidomai. One more time. Paradidomai. 
Okay, so if somebody says, hey, what'd you do yesterday? Did you go to church somewhere for Easter? And you can say, yeah, I did, and I learned Greek, okay? You can let them know that. Paradidomai, it's a very interesting word. It means this, to hand over something or someone and keep it until an appointed time. And the way that this word is used in the life of Jesus is fascinating, especially the way it's used in the final week of his life. You know, when Judas came to betray Jesus... It says he betrayed him, he delivered him. Same word Jews there, paradidomai. He handed him over to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And then it says that the religious leaders went, and again, paradidomai, they handed him over to Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And then Caiaphas, Caiaphas, paradidomai, he went and handed Jesus over to Pilate. And Pilate had his little interview with Jesus. And it says that Pilate went and handed Jesus over to Herod. And Herod made sport of Jesus and mocked Jesus. And then Herod, paradidomai, handed him over to the soldiers to be crucified. But then we read this. When Jesus was on the cross, he's hanging there. He's paid the price. He's on the cross because he's taking the punishment that was meant for us. He's paying the price for our sins. He's he's purchasing in that moment our redemption so that we can know God, that we can experience forgiveness. And as he's on the cross, Jesus yells out after six hours, he pushes himself up and grabs a deep breath and he says, it is finished. What was he saying? The price has been paid in full. The work of redemption has been done. And aren't you glad he didn't yell, almost? Aren't you glad he didn't yell out, halfway? Aren't you glad he didn't say, I did my part, now you do yours? No, he said, I did it all. It's finished, it's complete. And then it says after that, that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that word commit is a, in the Greek language is a very interesting word, very similar to paradinomai. Now, paradinomai is when someone or something is handed over to someone else for an appointed time. This word commit is the word parentithemy, and it means when you yourself hand over something or to, to someone's charge and someone's keeping. So this is what Jesus was saying. Dad... Here's my spirit. Keep it until Sunday. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Now why am I telling you this? Jesus made this claim in John chapter 10. He said, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again see, Jesus was in complete control of everything that was happening to him. When Judas betrayed him, he paradidomai, handed him over. Jesus said, hey, no one takes my life from me. Jesus could have called down a legion of angels at that moment to come upon those Roman soldiers and those who were against him. But he willingly, is the idea, was giving himself, willingly handing himself over to pay the price for our sins. He laid down his life willingly, knowing that in three days later, he would take it back. You see, Jesus beat death so that you and I would know that death doesn't have to beat us. 
Once there was a missionary who visited a tribe in a remote jungle area. And to get to this tribe, he had to wade across a murky river. When he got to this village, he found that all of these villagers were suffering. All the people in this tribe were suffering from a dreaded disease. But he identified the illness as an infection that could be easily treated with antibiotics. And there were doctors just on the other side of the river and up a little ways that, that had medicine, had the antibiotics that could, could, could heal them. But this was the problem. The tribesmen refused to travel. You see, the problem was the river. They had this superstition. They believed that the river was the home of demons and evil spirits, that it was the home of death. And so all their lives, the tribesmen had seen the river as an enemy, and they feared the river. And no villager had ever been on the other side. In fact, their witch doctors had said that it was futile to try to cross, that they would die. And so these desperate people were trapped by the river. And that's when the missionary realized what he needed to do. So he called all the tribe down to the river's edge and he began to wade out into the murky water. And these tribesmen were begging their new friend, don't go out there, it's not safe, don't do that. But he continued out and he got up to his waist and then up to his head and then he got to the point where they couldn't see him anymore and they thought that he was gone. And then suddenly to their surprise and their elation, he appears on the other side. He made it across The river had not swallowed the missionary. He had won the victory. And this is exactly what Paul the Apostle is talking about of Jesus and his resurrection when he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. On Friday, the disciples shuddered in fear as they watched Jesus plunge into the murky river called death. But three days later, to their surprise and their adulation, when he came out the other side, he came out of the grave, and he was alive. One Sunday school teacher was asking her Sunday school class, do you know what Jesus said when he came out of the tomb? And this little girl said, I do, I do, I know what he said. And she said what? And she said, (laughs) ta-da! Well, I don't know if it's exactly what Jesus said, but he could have very well said that listen this is why this is important it is only because of the resurrection it's only because of the resurrection that the teachings and claims of Jesus have any meaning to us at all Paul the apostle said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not risen our faith is empty we're still in our sins There's no hope of heaven. And we are to be the most pitied people on the planet. It's like people would look at us and go, those poor pathetic Christians thinking that, you know, believing in a myth. You know, it's like watching somebody that goes on American Idol. You know, you ever seen these contestants and they can't sing? And they get up there and they're all serious. Like, you know, like, I'm going to win this thing. And they, they start and you're like, oh my gosh, you know. And it's kind of funny, but it's also sad because you think to yourself, doesn't that person have anybody in their life to say, bro, that's not your gift, all right? <laughs> you can't sing. That's the idea. The world would look at us and go, those poor, pathetic Christians believing in a lie. It's only the resurrection 
that makes gives meaning to the claims of Jesus. If Jesus had drowned in the river of death, I don't care what he taught or what he did or how he lived. He died just like any other man. Why trust the doctrines of dead and defeated men? That's why I could never follow Buddha or Muhammad or Krishna or Confucius. For one simple reason, they're all dead. Why believe the promises of immortality made by mortal men? Their tombstones speak louder than their truths. But the tomb of Jesus Christ, it's empty. It's empty today. Jesus has risen. He's alive. Can I get an amen to that? And skeptics have tried, they have tried to uh, come up with reasons and explanations for why the tomb is empty, but none of them make sense. And I'm not even going to give the time today to go into that, but there have been those who have just sunk a lot of time in this. And the only explanation for the reason why the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty today and all those other men, those other religious leaders, their tombs are full of their dead bones is because Jesus came out of the grave. It's been said that the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out, but it was to let the skeptic in. And let him see that Jesus is alive. So the resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The only way, the truth, and the life. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is who he said he was. And he did what he came to do. He came to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could experience forgiveness, so that we could know God. And then he rose again three days later to give life to anyone and everyone who would believe in his name. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus was actually doing something during those three days in the tomb. He wasn't just taking a long nap. On Sunday mornings here at our church, we've been studying 1 Peter. And next week, we're going to jump into chapter 3. And Peter says something just so fascinating in chapter 3 at verse 19, where he says that Jesus, that during the, the time that he was in the grave, he went down into hell and he spoke to the, the spirits that were in prison there. What did he say to them? I think he told them, your power is no more. You guys have been defeated. And it's interesting, in Revelation chapter 118, it says that Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades. And that's sort of a summary statement that also gives insight into what happened during those three days. That Jesus goes down into hell and he sees Satan. And he says, Satan, what do you have in your hands? And Satan says, I have the keys to death in Hades. And Jesus says, paradidomai, hand them over. Because they belong to me. See, that's the connection in that word. Hand him over. He holds the keys. Keys are points of access and authority, right? Keys unlock doors. The fear of death, you know, is one of the greatest fears that people have today. The fear of not knowing for sure what happens when I die. Where do I go? Do I go anywhere? But listen, Jesus holds the keys. You can know for certain 
where you are going to go. Jesus is the one who holds the keys to death and life. He controls who will live forever with him and who will be separated from him. And he makes it really, really simple. He says this, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, the smartest thing that you can do today is to get to know the one who has the keys. The smartest thing that you can do today is to align your heart with the one who holds the key to eternal life and abundant life. Again, it was Peter, we studied this, who said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does it mean to be born again? Well, all of us have been born physically. That's what happens when you come out of your mother's womb. But you also need to be born spiritually. We've been born again, born, our spirit brought to life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we have a living hope, a hope that lives. And that word hope speaks of an absolute expectation of coming good. You can bank on it, in other words. What is our hope? That the Bible says that to be absent from this body is to be present from the Lord. When you breathe your last breath in this life, if you know Jesus, your next breath is there in heaven. The story doesn't need to end in fear. And we also see here in our text that the story isn't going to end in failure either. Look at verse 7. He says, but go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him as he said to you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why does he make that distinction? Why is Peter singled out? Was Peter no longer a disciple? Well, I'm sure that's the way Peter felt. The night before the crucifixion, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, all of you are going to forsake me. This day, and Peter stands up and says, the rest of these guys might forsake you, but not me. I will die for you. Peter was sincere, but you know what Peter's problem was? Peter tried to follow Jesus in his own strength. And he failed miserably. He was always trying in his own strength to follow the Lord. And he failed failed miserably. And Peter ended up denying Jesus three times. Denied that he even knew him on that night. And no doubt Peter felt ashamed. Full of guilt. I mean, think about it. Have you ever failed God? Of course you have. So have I. And man, when that happens, you feel ashamed. You feel guilt-ridden. And maybe you also, I lived a lot lot of years of my life in this way, trying to follow Jesus and serve Jesus in my own strength, and it is so incredibly frustrating. And you fail, and you can't get it right. And here's the problem. Satan is so good at rubbing our failures in our faces. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to come and bring condemnation upon us. But the Bible also says that Jesus, our risen Savior, is our advocate. That word is defense attorney. So when Satan is seeking to rub our faces in our failure and he brings our our failures before God, Jesus stands up and says, all of that is true. Rob did all of that, but you know what? I covered that in my blood. I paid the price for that. He's forgiven And what's crazy is, you know, we still do sin, right? 
The Bible says that if we confess our sin, it means if we own it, we don't rationalize it, we're not trying to make excuses of it, that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can put your name in Peter's. Go tell the disciples and Rob that I'm risen that I'm alive, that I want to see him. And what's interesting about Peter is Peter would become a new man after the resurrection. He would see Jesus risen from the dead. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same guy who denied Jesus in front of a little camp, around a little campfire and a small group of people stands up before 3,000 people and says, Jesus is alive, he's the Messiah, and you need to give your life to him. He was filled with resurrection power, and that can be your story too. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that our God is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the 50th chance. Your story doesn't have to end in failure. Now, I told you something was left in the tomb that was significant. What was it? Well, in John 19, we're told that Jesus, when he came up, he actually, just like that video, he rose up out of his grave clothes But then it says that he took the cloth that was over his face and he folded it real neatly and laid it there. Why did he do that? Well, because Jesus was a good boy who made his bed when he got up. (laughs) Now, really, though, there was something else left in the tomb. You know what it was? All of our sin and all of our shame. You see, the Bible tells us that all of our sin, all of our shame was put upon Jesus. He bore that on the cross. He took that upon himself. All of our sin, all of our shame, he took that upon him there on the cross. And Paul the Apostle said this in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, that we were buried with him in baptism. Tyler said we're having a baptism next week. And if you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you, get registered to get baptized. We're going to do it all three services. But you know, baptism is symbolic of two things. First of all, it's symbolic of a burial. When we take you and we dunk you under the water and we hold you there for five minutes, not really, we don't. But it's symbolizing your old person, who you used to be, and all of your sin and all of your shame being put in the tomb with Jesus. It symbolizes a burial. But then when we pull you up out of the water, it symbolizes a resurrection. That now your sin and your shame, it's been left in the tomb. And now you can walk in that newness of life. That's what, that's what Paul, that's what he says. He says, we were buried with him in baptism into death and like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. We now can walk on a, on a daily basis. We can live in that resurrection power and the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that power is available to you and I to live for Jesus and to walk with Jesus and to serve Jesus. In fact, Paul, when he was praying for the church in Ephesus, he prayed this, I'm praying that you guys would come to really know and understand the power that's available to you, that it's the same power that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave. The title of the message today is this, Jesus is risen, dot, dot, dot. And those dots represent a question for you, and this is the question, how will you respond to the resurrection?
Now, if you're a Christian here today, you've given your life to Jesus, well, the resurrection means that your life doesn't need to be marked by frustration because Jesus is alive and he's working even when you can't see it. And he's committed to do the work that he has begun in your life. And he wants you just to believe that and to walk in that. If you're a Christian here today, it means that your life doesn't need to be marked by fear. Even when we're living in the midst of this crazy world that we're living in, where there's so much chaos all around us and uncertainty. We don't live in fear because we know how the story ends. You know, last night, I watched UCLA play Gonzaga. Anybody else watch that game? Incredible game, man. I was rooting for UCLA. I so much was wanting them to win. And it was an amazing, that's basketball, by the way. It's March Madness. And, and uh, you know, it's the tournament, one and done, you're out. I mean, it's one of the most exciting sporting thing all year long. Get into it. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> anyway. But I'm watching this game, and they were supposed to get blown out. Everybody was saying they didn't have a chance. And it's going back and forth. At one point, they had a lead, and it's going back and forth. It goes into overtime. And I got to tell you, there were points during the game where I'm like grabbing my head going, I just can't handle this. I can't take this. This is like so intense. I was like just getting so into it. They finally lost on a last second shot, a half quarter, lucky shot that won the game at the buzzer. But I got to tell you, man, there were times where I was just, I was like freaking out. But you know, there's been other games that I've taped And I actually knew who won. I knew my team won before I watched it. This was a tape. I taped it. So I'm watching that game, and I'm seeing, you know, that my team's down by 15. But I know that they win. So I'm, like, excited. Like, this is going to be an incredible comeback. I can't wait to see how this is going to turn out. Well, listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't. Our lives should not be marked by fear because we know how the story ends. Jesus wins. Jesus, who made a promise that they would kill him and three days later would rise again from the dead, also made a promise that I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back again. And I'm going to establish my kingdom upon this earth. And I'm going to set up a kingdom of perfect peace and perfect righteousness. So we don't need to live by fear because we know that Jesus is coming back. Jesus wins. We know how the story ends. And finally, as Christians, the resurrection means that our lives don't have to be marked by failure. Because we've already said this. There's resurrection power available to you and I on a daily basis to live and walk with Jesus. But let me ask this question. What if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus? Well, I want to ask you this this question. What are you carrying today? Are you carrying guilt and shame because of your sin? Because you know you've broken God's commandments. Jesus would say to you, Paradidomai, hand it over. I paid the price for that. Are you carrying a void in your life, an emptiness that you're trying to fill, seeking life in dead things? Jesus would say to you today, Paradidomai, hand it over. Hand it over. Because I've got life for you. I want to do a work in your heart. 
Are you carrying hurts in your heart because of those who have wronged you? Pain in your heart. Jesus again would say to you, Paradidomai, hand it over so I can heal it. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says that Jesus made this statement, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, the door of your heart. And if anyone comes and opens the door, I will come into him and live with him and he with me. Jesus is saying, look, I have life for you, but you've got to hand your heart over to me. Maybe you're here today and you've played the prodigal. At some point in your life, maybe you grew up in church or maybe you went forward at some event and and you've walked with Jesus for a little bit, but for a long time now, you've been just living in rebellion. You've been doing your own thing. You've been following your own way. You've been searching for life in dead things also, like Nico in the video. That's your story. Maybe you didn't hit rock bottom like he did, but listen, you don't have to because Jesus, who rose again from the dead and loves you, cries out to you today, and he says, hand your heart over to me. Come home because I love you and I want to forgive you. And if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are risen, that you are alive. And that means for those of us here in this room, our lives do not have to be marked by frustration because you are alive and you are working even when we can't see it. And our lives don't have to be marked by fear because we know how the story ends, that Jesus, Lord, you win and you're going to come back. And our lives do not have to be marked by failure. And Lord, I pray right now for anybody in this room who's never given their life to you, who doesn't know you, who hasn't received and experienced forgiveness of their sins and today they realize there's a void in their heart that they've been trying to fill with other things and that void can only be filled by you lord i pray today right now in this moment that they would respond to your invitation